This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, really looking forward to the conversation we are about to have. We're going to be chatting with Marcus Kolga. Marcus um, is, I think, widely regarded, accepted as being one of the leading experts on Russia uh, in North America. He's a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. Um, he has been a vocal advocate for human rights uh, in Russia, frequent an outspoken critic of Vladimir Putin, someone who's issued a lot of warnings about Putin's ambitions, someone who's been involved in this part of the world, um, talking about it and uh, offering expert analysis for a very, very long time. So much so, in fact, that he's been added to a Russian government blacklist as all of this has gone on. This has happened just a few weeks ago or a week ago. Um, and uh, delighted that he has time to join us this morning. Marcus, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Shay. So, uh, yeah, you were recently added to this banned list by Russia. You're no longer welcome in Russia. Um, what was your reaction to hearing that news? Well, look, uh, to be quite honest, I mean, I wasn't entirely surprised. I've spent uh, the past, you know, 15 years uh, advocating and supporting the, the Russian pro-democracy and human rights movement. Um, and I spent a lot of that time advocating for Canadian uh, Magnitsky sanctions. This is a, a law that allows us to target Russian officials and entities who engage in corruption and, and human rights. And I'll tell you, there's a whole lot of those mm -hmm. uh, types of people in Russia right now. And so when I heard the news, um, like I said, I, I, I wasn't entirely shocked, but, um, but it, you know, it brings it all of that Russia's uh, efforts to, and Putin's efforts to intimidate the West had brought it home. Um, this is, you know, this tactic is intended to silence critics abroad it's uh, it's intended to let people like me and others who are named to the list. It's intended to let us know that Putin is watching us, and uh, it's uh, intended to scare us. It's a bully tactic that he's using, and uh, and you know all it's done for me, quite frankly, it's, it hasn't scared me into silence. It's just. Uh, 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 emboldened me to keep going and, and, and continue that fight against Putin and his authoritarian, thuggish regime. Um, and I'm glad you are, uh, and I'm glad you're joining us today to talk about this. But, but uh, just, uh, you know, that, that attitude, that bullying, that trying to silence, that trying to control the information realm, uh, even yeah. in the Western world, that sort of playbook page one of what's going on in Russia, right? Just what do you think the situation is in Russia in terms of the information that the Russian people are actually getting and the control that Putin has over it? Well, it's, it's actually quite terrifying. I mean, you wouldn't think that in uh, 2022, a government would be able to completely control the information environment. You know, the, the internet was supposed to open up the, the information environment, allow us to, and, and to prevent um, dictators and authoritarians from ever closing off information spaces for, for entire nations. Um, but Vladimir Putin has succeeded in doing this. And what's worse, he's, he's managed to convince what seems to be a large number, if not a majority of Russians, that, you know, black is now white, up is now down, and that war is peace. I mean, he's created a completely different alternate reality within Russia because he's hermetically sealed it off from the, the rest of the world. Um, and through that, by controlling that information environment, 
Uh, he's been able to convince his own people that um, what he's doing in Ukraine is right, that the bombing of you know civilian infrastructure that we've seen over the past uh, four or five weeks, the, the bombing of schools, of hospitals, that it's actually the Ukrainians doing them that themselves. And the massacre that we're seeing in, in uh, Bucha, the, the images that we're seeing there, um, what Russian media right now and, and the government is doing is, is claiming that this is all a setup, that it's the West that has created these images, it's all fake, uh, and that Vladimir Putin and, and his army are on the righteous path to denazifying Ukraine, which is an absurd narrative. Um, it's, it's terrifying. And, uh, and unfortunately, uh, through this information operation against his own people, he's managed to convince uh, his uh, majority of his own people that he is doing the right thing. So um, unfortunately, he's winning the information war at home. So it works. I mean, we know I mean, elections don't mean anything really in Russia. He wins overwhelmingly every time they go to the polls. Uh, we hear about, you know, fairly good approval ratings. I think they've slipped a bit recently. But um, how how do you think the, the average Russian feels about Vladimir Putin? Does he control the environmental or the information that well that he is seen in a favorable light? Well, if we're to believe the polling numbers, um, that we're seeing in Russia right now, there are, there are claims that he has around 80% support. Now, take this with a grain of salt, because the Russian government controls all information. So yeah. um, this could be a hyperinflated number. Um, the fact of the matter is that anyone who would otherwise speak out against the war, who would be critical of it, um, you know, we saw that there were thousands of Russians who took to the streets in the early days of the war to protest against it. They were violently repressed, and there was a new law that was... Uh, instituted in in Russia that made uh, any mention of the word war in the context of Ukraine, just uttering that word, exposed uh, individuals to the risk of being uh, arrested and charged and potentially uh, facing 15 years in prison, 15 years just for saying the word war. So, um, you know, in, in addition to the information war, Vladimir Putin has, through his repression, has has probably silenced uh, most of the critics that would otherwise speak out against the war, and of course the independent media, uh, what remained of it, mm-hmm. uh, has all been completely shut down. So there is, there's really no way for anyone to stand up and, and speak out against uh, Vladimir Putin right now inside of Russia. So I often hear, you know, from the audience saying, well, it's going to take the people of Russia rising up and overthrowing Putin to end this. Um, okay, so it doesn't sound like that's all that likely. What about the pressure that's being exerted on the oligarchs and the people with money, his inner circle? I know that's the intent there, to try and pressure them to do something to get Putin to change what he's doing or remove him. Do you think that might be more effective? Well, just going back to your initial point, I mean, the Russian people will eventually be fed up with what uh, the way that Vladimir Putin is behaving. Um, the sanctions aren't an overnight solution. Uh, they are a long-term solution that will take time to have an effect. So the, the longer the Russian people feel the effects of these sanctions, um, the, more, uh, you know, the more outspoken they might become. And, and eventually they will want to see a, a change in leadership. But further to your point about oligarchs, they too should be feeling the pressure. That's yeah. the, the theory behind sanctions is to strangle them economically, cut off their wealth, cut off their access to their wealth and their, their ability to travel. And the, the, theoretically, the, the, the hope is that they will eventually um, be motivated by, by that to uh, work together to change the direction that the government has taken. In this case, you know, 
um, there's, I think everyone in the Western world right now is hoping that they will band together and remove Vladimir Putin from office. Now, whether that'll happen or not, whether they have the courage to do that, who knows? You know, so many of them, you've seen, we've seen images of, of these super yachts. They've jumped on yeah. their yachts in Turkey and taken off to God knows where. Um, so they're fleeing Russia right now. The, the rats are, are fleeing the sinking ship, as it were. Um, and they're trying to avoid any sort of, uh, uh, accountability or repercussions for what's happening. But, uh, you know, the hope would be that the oligarchs will get together, maybe put together their money and, uh, approach, um, the, the, intel- the security services who keep Vladimir Putin in power. Maybe they'll, they'll inspire the, the knives to eventually come out for, for Putin to end, uh, this nightmare that he's putting us all through. Hey, Marcus, do you have a minute, uh, a few more minutes to hang on and take a quick break and come back and continue? Yeah. Okay. We're chatting Absolutely. with Marcus Kolga, who's a leading ex. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Expert on Russia and a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. We'll take a quick break and be back with more right after this. We're chatting with Marcus Kolga, who's a leading expert on Russia and a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. He's also on the uh, new Russian government blacklist. People no longer welcome in that country. And that's because he's been an outspoken critic of Vladimir Putin and some of the things in Russia. Marcus, we were just talking about if the people or the oligarchs might be enough to rise up and, and remove Putin. I'm wondering, what about the military? We keep hearing that some of the soldiers who ended up in Ukraine thought they were on an exercise, had no idea what was going on, felt duped. Is there a possibility that the troops or the leaders within the Russian military may be a way to say, we're not doing this anymore. Is that a possibility? Yeah, it's, uh, it is a possibility, Shay, and it's, uh, it's a bit of a wild card. Um, we know that Vladimir Putin has actually arrested a number of, of his generals um, and uh, put them at least, at last we heard they were under house arrest. Things could be worse now. Um, but he is blaming his own army uh, for his the utter failure and disaster that uh, his invasion has been, um, you know whether they uh, are get set up and decide to make a change. That's that's a that's a big question. Um, and you bring up the the fact that uh, his own troops, uh, the recruits uh, who are being forced onto the front lines in in uh, in Ukraine. Um, you know, we've heard that morale has been extremely low amongst these, these troops. They, were, they weren't told that they were going into Ukraine for an invasion. And, of course, Vladimir Putin told his own people that uh, this was a special forces operation, yeah. a special limited operation to denazify Ukraine. Um, but we all know that he's engaged in this widespread warfare. So, um, you know, these kids, you know, 19, 20-year-old conscripts, um, they were told that they were just going, as you mentioned, into uh, to to undertake military exercises on uh, on Russia's uh, western border with with Ukraine. But instead, they're in this invasion situation. They've been told to essentially shoot civilians, men, women, and children, um, fire on on civilian infrastructure with artillery and such. And so, this is not really what they signed up for. There's there's also the problem, the logistical problem. Um, you know, food isn't getting to these soldiers. Uh, the conditions that they're in are very poor. They're, 
these we know that these Russian soldiers are going around looting uh, various different uh, areas where they are where where they've uh, on the front lines in in Ukraine, uh, and so all of this has led them to rise up in many occasions. Uh, just two weeks ago, there was a, a, a there were several reports about uh, a group, uh, an army group north of of Kiev that had turned on the colonel, their commanding colonel. They had taken him, they had abducted him, uh, pinned him to the ground and took a tank and, and drove right over this colonel. And so we're hearing rep- these sorts of reports. And, uh, you know, it's entirely possible that, uh, I mean, things will not be getting better for Vladimir Putin over the next few weeks. Um, is it possible that the army will turn on him? Uh, entirely possible. We saw that during the the uh, the communist re- revolution in, in 1917. It was the same, a very similar situation. So, is it possible? Yes, I, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Um, so, Marcus, you and I are talking about various ways that Vladimir Putin could be removed or forced out, and that would be a way to resolve this. Is there any other way? Is there a way that Putin remains in charge and uh, in control of Russia and somehow this conflict ends? Or does he need to be removed for this to be resolved? Look, uh, it's it's possible that the fighting will stop because Vladimir Putin cannot keep uh, keep this war machine going. It is costing him dearly. Um, he doesn't have the resources to do it. Uh, his economy is being hit by these sanctions. So he's he's going to have to stop at some point. Now, what happens after that is the big question. Um, let's not forget that Vladimir Putin just last summer changed his country's constitution uh, to allow him to remain in power until 2036. And there's no indication that even if he gets that far, that he'll leave office then. Um, if we look at the, the past 22 years that he's been in power, he has been engaging in a cycle of conflict with various different countries. Invasion, the invasion of Georgia, the efforts to destabilize Estonia, the invasion against Crimea. And let's not forget the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Right. He's also attacking our democracy. There's no reason to believe that any of this will stop. Um, and so the question, be, you know, what, how will this end? It will only end with him being removed from power. How we do that is, is a big question. Um, you know, there are several things that we can do, you know, for instance, empowering Russian civil society, um, making sure that good information gets into Russia. Um, those are things that we can do. But like I said, the only way that this is really going to end all of this is with his removal from power. What does that look like in Russia? If Putin is removed and, you know, when that happens, what is the the system? What's in place in Russia to sort of carry on? I mean, you're talking about a nuclear superpower. I mean, all these kinds of discussions. And, you know, when you're talking about regime changes and things like that, what do you think it would look like post-Putin in Russia? Well, it's depending on how all this plays out, of course, and and how that change occurs. Um, You know, there is right now, Russia is being ruled by the former KGB. That is, their representative is Vladimir Putin. Everybody that is around Vladimir Putin is part of that security apparatus. So should, you know, Vladimir Putin suddenly uh, have to step back or perhaps, you know, something else happens to him where he's no longer able to rule the country, there will be other members of the security apparatus that will probably step in and take over for the time being. How long that would last, we don't know. Uh, but but th- that system sort of is in place. There's no successor that's being chosen but there are individuals who are re- ready to, to, to step in. 
Um, you know, my old friend Boris Nemtsov, who was the opposition leader, and he was really running against Vladimir Putin in 2000 when Vladimir Putin was selected by, by Yeltsin to succeed him. Um, Boris Nemtsov used to always tell me that, um, you know, the only way that Russia will become democratic and that there will be a change is when the, the people rise up. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I believe that Boris uh, was, was probably right in that. And, uh, and I think that the only way that we'll see a European facing Russia, one that will want to work and respect its work with and respect its uh, with its neighbors and uh, and, uh, you know, uh, promote democratic values within Russia. It's only going to come from from the grassroots It's going to come through uh, a popular, you know, probably an uprising of some sorts, because um, let's face it, uh, you know, the elections that do happen in Russia are are not real. They they are the outcomes are predetermined. So any democratic changes is, is impossible and has been for a number of decades. So uh, popular uh, uprising, uh, a, a revolution, if you were, uh, by the people is the only way that we're going to see a real uh, substantial change in Russia uh, in the future. Um, one more, and I'll let you go, Marcus. I really appreciate your time. Um, what's your expectation? For the region, for Crimea, for Donbass, for the, for those areas, what happens? Do they go back to Ukraine? Does Russia maintain you know control of those areas? What's your expectation there? Well, I think it depends on what we in the West do. If we decide to back up uh, Ukraine to help it, not just stop this war, freezing this this conflict is not going to help anyone. We need to defeat Vladimir Putin, and that means pushing him out of Ukraine and securing Ukraine's borders. We have that opportunity right now. We can send weapons. Canada has, has yet to match up to our NATO allies. Countries like Estonia, a tiny little country with a population of the size of Edmonton, has contributed nearly $300 billion in lethal defense uh, aid to Ukraine. We've not sent much more than $40 million. We have a lot more work to do. If we commit to sending the missiles uh, that are needed to take out the armor, to take out the aircraft, um, and the, the ships at sea who are firing, uh, that are firing, firing cruise missiles into Ukraine, if we, if we help them defend their country, I think that we can change the tide and, and really uh, secure Ukraine and, and Europe uh, for, for years to come. But the moment is now. We need to make that decision now. We can't wait for a week or two. We need to do it now. And if we do that, I think we'll be in we'll be in much better shape. So you think militarily this war can be won? I know a lot of people think. I mean, it's just a matter of time with the size and strength of the Russian army. Although the expectation hasn't been met in a lot of ways, but you think militarily Ukraine can hang on? I think Ukraine can absolutely hang on, given the proper weapons. It was just announced today that the the Czechs have sent in tanks. If we if we if we supply them with the proper tools. The Ukrainians can hold on. They've demonstrated that they could hold on to Kiev. They pushed back the Russian army. They've humiliated Putin at this point. They can continue. They have. Uh, they've got the steam. They've. They've. They've got the momentum. Um, let's help. If we can help them do this, if we can help them continue, I think that they can actually push Russia out of Donbass. Uh, and maybe even Crimea. Okay, I know I said I'd let you go, but I'm getting a bunch of texts, and uh, it's something that always comes up. What about assassinating Putin? Is that a possibility? Like you say, the, you know, the security structure is still in place, so it might not change that much, but is that something that's been kicked around in the West? Is that something that's even on the table? Well, I don't think that's uh, really being kicked around, or, or if, you know, it's not being seriously considered by anyone in the West, but I, I suspect that there are probably some oligarchs uh, right now, uh, and maybe people within the security apparatus in Russia who are seriously considering that. Um, that, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all.
Interesting. Okay. Marcus, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. Anytime, Shay. Thank you. That is Marcus Kolga. Uh, Marcus is a founder of disinfowatch.org. He's a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. Um, and as we said, he is widely considered one of the leading experts on Russia and that region has been for a very, very long time. And, and, and the work that he has done in this area is is really quite remarkable. He's been involved for a very long time. He's been um, given all kinds of awards from uh, different countries in Europe. He's been heavily involved in this. And because of all of his work and all of his involvement and all of his advocacy for human rights and pointing out the threat that Vladimir Putin uh, poses to the West, he is now on that blacklist that Russia has put out saying uh, these people are no longer allowed in Russia. It was all in response to the sanctions and uh, the steps that the West was taking against Russia. So, appreciate that he had time to join us today.